Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, thank you for joining me for episode 75 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a quick reminder, you can find detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 75. You know, I think many of us believe that talent and hard work are really the keys to success in business. And as competition stiffens, what, what tends to happen is that it's more difficult for clients to distinguish one freelancer from another. So hard work alone and, and just sheer talent is is no longer enough, especially today. In fact, if you want to get ahead, you need more than that. You need a different strategy. And, and specifically, you need to capitalize and you need to communicate your unique perspective and knowledge. You need to capitalize on that. And you, you have to be able to communicate that clearly to your target audience. And that's what today's episode is all about. My guest is Dory Clark. And Dory is the author of two business books. Uh, she's also a consultant and a speaker. She's got a really interesting background. She's worked as a journalist. She's been a spokesperson for gubernatorial and presidential candidates and an executive director of a nonprofit. And in this interview, she explains why hard work and talent are just no longer enough and how you can position yourself as a trusted expert to set yourself apart in today's competitive environment, even if you don't quite feel like an expert in your field. So for those of you who are starting out or don't quite feel that you've achieved that level, uh, that expert level, Make sure to check this out because she's got some really valuable ideas and insights here for you. So with that, enjoy the interview. Hey, Dory, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. Ed, thank you. Good to talk to you. So why don't we start by you sharing a little bit about you. I want folks to understand where you're coming from uh, with this material. I think it's really important. Tell us about your what you do today, a little bit about your background because you have very interesting background. Yeah, thank you very much. So uh, today I'm an author of a couple of uh, business books. One is called Reinventing You, which came out in 2013 from Harvard Business Review Press. My new book is called Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. And uh, so I'm really excited to be sharing some of those ideas with with your audience. Um, My background before writing these books and and starting my career as a a consultant and speaker uh, was that I actually started out as a professional journalist. Uh, I lost my job uh, in you know one of the early rounds of layoffs and had to reinvent myself. And so I did a lot of different things. I uh, was a spokesperson on a gubernatorial race and a presidential race. I was the executive director of a nonprofit. And uh, then finally, nine years ago, uh, started my own business. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately I, I too am a, a, a freelancer and entrepreneur. And I know that what's really critical for all of us is to find different ways to stand out and make sure other people really understand what we have to bring to the table. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like if you came from the world of journalism, you'll also understand kind of the dynamics, right. Of that world. And a lot of people in this audience have come from that world. So, um, it seems like you've, you've really, um, 
you've seen a lot of what's going on. I think you can relate to this audience really well. And so you know, you, you talk about the fact that, look, you know, today it's, it's not talent is not enough, you know, and hard work is not enough. And all those things that you've been told you need to really emphasize and, and work on, um, that, that's not going to cut it today. Uh, so t- tell us more about that. I mean, it, it's really, if, if I'm a wonderful writer, um, and, and I work really, really hard, are you saying that, Hey, you know, that's great, but that's just kind of a starting point. In, in a lot of ways I am, uh, because, you know, ultimately we, I think we all recognize that the, the world is getting noisier. I mean, there is a lot of competition out there. It seems like everybody has a blog, everybody's, you know, on Twitter, everybody's trying to get heard. And with more and more people going freelance, in fact, uh, a well-known Intuit study says that by the year 2020, uh, nearly 40% of the American workforce is going to be freelancer contractors. There, there's a lot of competition out there. And so the real question is how do you make sure you get noticed for it? I mean, doing good work, of course. We know that's essential. We know that uh, if you are great, word of mouth will happen to a certain extent. But the truth is people are not paying that close attention to you. And oftentimes, unless someone literally says, do you know any good copywriters? Who have you got for me? Uh, which is fairly rare that people are going to literally be asking that. Uh, it's, it's hard to get word of mouth transmission going. So we have to get clear. This is our responsibility, not other people's responsibility. We've got to get clear about what's different about us, what's particularly good or unique about us, and give people reasons to be talking about us and saying, I have to have him, I have to have her. So let's talk about some of, some of those reasons and, and what, what, are, what are clients looking for? I mean, right, with all this noise, you know, the, the needs are still the same, um, but and there, there are more people out there who are just y- yammering <laughs> and saying, pick me, pick me, pick me, look at me. W- what are clients really looking for? Well, you know, Ed, what I, what I think clients are looking for is certainty. And what I mean by that is that when they're hiring a copywriter, it's it's a little bit of a risky situation, right? They're entrusting their brand to you. Uh, they need somebody to create copy that is going ultimately to result in sales. They want uh, they want a sort of general brand voice to be conveyed, and they want people to be so intrigued, so interested, so moved that the people say you know, yes, I'm going to click on that. Yes, I'm going to investigate that further. Yes, I'm even going to buy that. And if you, if they make a a wrong mistake, if they choose incorrectly, there's a lot at stake. I mean, if you think about it from the buyer's perspective, if they really screw up, they might get fired. If they screw up a little bit, well, they're not going to make as much money as they thought. Uh, The sales numbers are going to go down. They're going to get castigated. So there's a lot at stake. So if you, as a a copywriter, can convey to people, you know what, this is a safe choice. I am the safe choice. That's, That's actually really powerful. And what makes somebody a safe choice? It is creating a reputation as an expert. It is creating a reputation as the go-to person so that it's basically the equivalent, you know, 30 years ago of someone, uh, you know, like a stockbroker recommending IBM stock. You never get fired for recommending IBM. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you do that? I mean, so that's, I think, the big question, right? It's, I can't just say, look, I'm the safe choice, right? This is a show me, don't tell me situation. So for, 
if you're if you're trying to communicate that, how do you do it in a way that's going to be believable and it's going to really resonate with with the potential client? Yeah, absolutely. So really, the the key the key way to do this is to build up you know build up this reputation uh, in the marketplace. As you say, it's it's not what you say about yourself. It is what the the buyer can see with their own eyes and what they are hearing from other people. And so I talk about this a bit in my first book, Reinventing You, uh, and also in my in my new book, Stand Out. Um, that. Basically, it's a it's a three step process, right? So the first step is getting clear on what your current brand is. Like, what are you actually known for? And this is this is something that I think a lot of us assume we know and assume we understand, but we have a lot of blind spots. And so, one quick exercise that I suggest to people is over the course of the next week, do what I call the three word exercise, which is where you go to a kind of cross section of people, let's say, you know, friends, colleagues, maybe a client or two and ask them if you could only describe me in three words, what would they be? And, you know, it's not, it's not a hard ask. It takes a minute or two for someone to answer you, but it's very illuminating because you are going to begin to get a quick cross section of what people view as most interesting or most different about you. That's a good starting place because you can either say, yeah, that's great. You know, that's exactly what I want to be known for. Or if it's not what you want to be known for, it gives you the, the uh, evidence that you need to figure out how you can pivot and move towards something. So the first stage is getting to know who you are now. The second step is really coming up with this vision of how do you want to be known? Maybe you want to be best know, you know, known for a ton of experience in a particular industry vertical, or maybe you want to be known as, you know, the really, you know, super creative copywriter, or, you know, maybe you want to be known as, you know, the guy who can always drive sales, you know, wh- whatever the sort of niche is that you want to play in. And so it's, it's thinking through, all right, how do I get from, from here to there? You know, maybe it's, uh, it's, you know, spending more time in certain, you know, personal skills development. Um, maybe it's, uh, it's increasing your networking in a certain industry so you can get hired for more gigs in that industry. And then the final step, the third step is what I call living out your brand. And this basically goes to the fact that a lot of people think that you're your personal brand is a synonym for your elevator pitch. You know, oh yeah, it's what you say about yourself. But the truth is, what you say about yourself is just the tiniest fraction of your personal brand. Ultimately, your brand is the totality of everything that people perceive about you. And so, it's you have to do a total inventory. It's um, you know, when people Google you, what do they see out there about you? It's who do you hang out with? You know, what's your, who are your friends? What's your social network? Um, are there professional associations you're involved in? What kind of leadership roles do you take on um, when you're creating content? I mean, not for clients, but for you. When you're creating your own sort of intellectual property, blogging or whatever, what types of things are you writing about? That is what creates the sum total of your brand. And that's something that, that a lot of people are not paying as close attention to as they need to. So let's say that you really like what you heard back from the people in your network with that three. By the way, I love that three word exercise. Um, I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to steal that. I'll give you full credit. 
<laughs> All right. So um, three, you're getting some great stuff. And some of it, uh, uh, let's say most of it resonates. However, um, you have this higher vision. And let's just say that um, a lot of people's responses are very tactical. But you've been in that world for a long time, and you're kind of edging out of that. And you really want to get to a more strategic level in your work. And you know you can do it. You've already been experimenting with it with some clients. So that's kind of the vision. And, and there's a big gap. You know, how do you reinvent yourself, especially when it comes to communicating your value on your website and in conversations when there's this huge gap? Yeah, yeah. It's an important question. And it's actually, it's one that I've gone through myself. I mean, in the early days of my business, um, you know, I, I was glad to get work doing whatever, you know, it's, uh, uh, so I, I would do all kinds of things, you know, many of them involving copywriting for, um, you know, if the National Park Service needed a brochure about XYZ, I would write the brochure or I would write speeches or, you know, for, for uh, executives that they were going to be delivering at banquets or, or things like that. And that was great. But ultimately, I also wanted to make a shift into more strategic domains and, you know, go, uh, you know, go into more kind of marketing strategy stuff. And so the way that I personally did this and, you know, in Reinventing You in particular, I, I talk a lot about best practices around this, is that first of all, you need to do a pretty thorough inventory of how you're presenting yourself. Because if you've been presenting yourself a certain way for a period of time, there's going to be things that you're, you're not even thinking about, that it's going to be a paper trail on the web. And so, you know, of course, you're probably thinking, okay, well, my LinkedIn profile, maybe the bio on my website, but literally you want to do a search or even better, pay somebody, pay some college student, you know, 10 or $15 an hour to just spend a couple of hours trawling online, looking for, for stuff, looking for places where, uh, you have somehow, uh, represented yourself or whatever, and just do an inventory and make sure that in all the places where you're able to change your bio and update it, uh, to tweak the language and make it a little bit more focused on strategy or the areas that you want to do that, that you're presenting a very cohesive picture. Um, the next thing that you want to do is you want to start flooding the channels with information about this new identity of yours. Um, so if, if you want to be doing, you know, more, you know, let's say marketing strategy or whatever, uh, you want to, immediately demonstrate expertise by creating uh, an incontrovertible flood of evidence uh, showing that you know about this. And so, you know, just creating a, a lot of blogs, uh, you know, maybe interviewing other people who are experts in the industry, uh, but getting it associated in people's minds that, oh, this is the kind of stuff that Dory does. Uh, a third thing that you want to do is actually practice your conversations. Uh, because I think, Unless, unless we do that, unless we literally have run-throughs, uh, it can be very hard. And in the moment, you can get tongue-tied when you're talking to people uh, when you know they're at the cocktail party and they say, well, tell me about what you do. And you're not really sure what words to use or how to position it. Um, so you want to practice it so that you get very comfortable. And then the fourth and final thing that I'll mention, Ed, is that um, you have to understand that when you're making a pivot in your business, Sometimes, you know, it's painful, but you can't always bring your clients along with you. Um, some clients are going to pit, have pigeonholed you, and they are going to resist viewing you in this new capacity. Uh, they're going to always think of you in, this, in the old way. And so if you really want to make a break, uh, sometimes that involves being strong enough to say, okay, I don't really want to do work like this beyond a certain point. 
so you know you, you want to handle the relationship well so you maybe want to give them a fair amount of notice but you can let them know you know after after uh, June 30th of this year I'm no longer going to be accepting these kinds of assignments if you'd like to work together I'd be glad to work with you on XYZ if not we can part as friends and I'll refer you to somebody else I think it's I, I always tell people look it's um, if you want to grow it's going to require you to get out of your comfort zone. In fact, if you feel very comfortable, even if you're earning uh, what you want to earn, you're, you're not growing. So I, I think, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you on it's going to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned in terms of um, kind of get new information out there and start positioning yourself as – yeah, somewhat of a, a, an expert in, in the field that you're trying to do more work in or a, a thought leader in that area, a lot of people have trouble with that. They say, well, yeah, but I haven't done a lot there. You know, it's, it's something I'm very interested in, but I'm not, I don't have the track record yet. I, so they don't see themselves as a trusted expert or a thought leader in, in that category, even though they're perfectly capable of doing it. Um, what advice would you have for somebody like that? Yeah, so so I, I think it's true that a lot of people have some hesitations about stepping forward and really, you know, saying yes, I'm an expert, and you know, to a certain extent, that's a laudable impulse because um, you know a, a fair number of the people who are willing to say yes, I am an expert, uh, you know, it's it's not a great thing because some, you know some of them uh, may be overstating their uh, their capabilities. So it, there's. Uh, there's virtue in modesty. However, uh, you can take that too far as well. And so I think really the point that I'm trying to make in Stand Out is that when we talk about becoming an expert, becoming a recognized expert, this does not mean that people have to be or position themselves as the world's expert in a topic. You do not have to literally be the person in the world who knows the most about something. What what I, I think we all do need to be, however, is to think about how we can become local experts. And what I mean by that is you don't have to be the, you know, the, the most knowledgeable person in the world, but if you want to justify continuing to draw your salary or, or getting the client work that you do, you darn well better be the most knowledgeable person who's operating in their company or the person that they know that knows the most about something. Uh, and, and that's not that much of a stretch. I actually profile someone in, uh, in standout named Michael Leckie, who is a vice president at Gartner, the research firm. And he was telling me his story. He said that, you know, when he first started out, he was interested in coaching and training and development, but he really didn't know that much about it. It was just, you know, it was kind of a hobby of his. It was an interest. Um, but he started learning more about it. And uh, he kind of apprenticed himself a little bit to a uh, consultant that they had brought in from outside. And he slowly began to learn more and more about it. And he was willing to share what he knew with other people in the company. And before long, he began to, to get a reputation as the person in Gartner in his office that knew the most about training and development. And if you at that point in his career had stacked him up against the world leaders, it wouldn't have been any kind of comparison. But he was able to make himself indispensable in the context of his company because he was a leader in that realm. So 
you know, for, for any of your listeners, it's about, you know, thinking through what, what does make you unique? I mean, you know, no one literally by definition of just being a human, no one has the same experience as you do. You have hobbies, you have training you've done. There are things you probably studied in college. Uh, there are past jobs that you've had where you've, uh, developed, a deeper expertise than most in certain sectors, you know, whatever it is, maybe, uh, maybe you started out studying poetry. So you have, you know, a different, uh, view of language than, than some people do, whatever it is, those are are things that can really be part of your special sauce. And you've got to own that. It doesn't mean, you know, waving a flag and saying you're the greatest thing in the entire universe, but it does mean recognizing that by dint of who you are, you know more about some things than other people do. And you might as well claim that because that's what makes you distinct and that's what makes you valuable. You know, I never thought about that. You're right. With many of my clients, I am... I am probably the most knowledgeable person in the area of copy and, and actual marketing writing. And in fact, I, I, I just thought of that. I have a few like that, but the most recent one, I have a client who's hired me in several different companies she's worked in. She moves around every couple of years and she mm. calls me every time. I, I am her go-to writer. Yes. And of course, I've developed a reputation with her, but I don't think she knows anybody else. In, yeah, And I think as freelancers, many times we think, yeah, but they have all these people they could choose from. But going back to one of your earlier points, I'm the safe choice. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the safest choice for her. I don't think most clients today have the time or desire to shop around every time. I think there's some exceptions in that world. Uh, in the in the world of uh, direct response copywriting, for instance, where they're just churning out a bunch of copywriters trying to find the next control. But those are the exceptions. And those are really hardcore uh, marketers and companies that do that. And in most cases, I haven't seen that. You're right. It's about who's the safest choice and who do I know who probably knows the most. So I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, I really like that. Now, let me ask you, Dory, because this is this is and I work with a lot of freelancers on their positioning in their message. And one of the biggest challenges freelancers have is trying to identify their uniqueness. You know, it's like they're so close to it. You mentioned blind spots earlier. They can't see it. It's easy for me to see it, but I won't do them any kind of favors if I'm if I'm the one telling them it's this that and the other they have to think through it what do you recommend to people who are having a really hard time with this you know do you do you recommend they get some sort of help um, even if they if the other person is not uh, necessarily an expert somebody who can maybe see things that they can't see yeah I think I think it's a very important point Ed and uh, it, it goes back to a certain extent to what we were saying uh, earlier about the the three word exercise where you know other other people can really see things about yourself that are very difficult for you to see so having you know a trusted friend or you know even better several trusted friends give you advice and say you know here you know when I think of you here's really uh, what you know what I think is distinct about you uh, can be very helpful information. You know, another thing that I'll just mention 
is that I actually um, I created a free 42-page workbook, um, which is adapted from my new book, Stand Out. And if any of your listeners are interested, they can get it on my website, doryclark.com. Uh, it's a free download called 139 Questions to Help You Find Your Breakthrough Idea. And so it literally, it's you know these 139 questions that walks you through step-by-step how to determine what's unique about you, what's unique about your viewpoint, and really try to draw out uh, some of these ideas that can help you differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Oh, wow. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's, you know, how can, how can I extract that? And then uh, other than the three word exercise, you know, how can I get someone who can maybe see uh, to, how to connect the dots maybe a little better than I can? So, um, but yeah, that's so, so that's good stuff. And, um, you know, I'm curious, you know, you've mentioned some, a couple of examples already, but I, do you have any other examples of other self-employed professionals who are doing a really good job in, in communicating their often authentic, uh, value or difference? You know, I'm curious what you've seen other people do and people who are doing a really good job at this. Yeah, for sure. Well, one one example that I'll cite, Ed, uh, this is actually the, the gentleman that brought us together, John Corcoran. Um, he is somebody that I profile in my new book, Stand Out. And I think he's, he's uh, employed a really interesting and valuable strategy that a lot of people could take advantage of, which um, he is a blogger and a podcaster. His, uh, his blog and show are called uh, Smart Business Revolution. And the reason that I profiled him in Standout is that he's actually used uh, his platform as a really interesting form of networking. And so it, this, this content creation creates all these all these different opportunities. It's like, you know, three or four wins all stacked on top of each other. But so he's, he does the podcast. So number one, it's a form of professional development for himself because he's able to say, what do I want to learn more about? Oh, okay. I'll go seek out that information and do an interview about it. So that's, that's kind of his personalized curriculum. Number two, it's a fantastic form of uh, expertise building and social proof amongst his potential clients because uh, you know, if, if he runs into them at an event and they say, oh, I'm really struggling with this, it's very easy for him to say, oh, you know, I just did an interview about that or I just wrote a blog post about that. Let me send it to you. And it really makes him look like a very knowledgeable person because he has a resource to offer. He's being helpful. So it, it helps him stay top of mind uh, with the people he wants to reach. And then third, it's a win because it's a networking opportunity. Um, he, you know, he, he probably couldn't necessarily get an hour uh, just to have coffee one-on-one with with, uh, someone that he really likes, like Dan Pink, who's a best-selling author. But if he says to Dan Pink, can I interview you for my show? Uh, Dan Pink, you know, would say and has said yes. And so it's it's kind of like a one-on-one coffee date, but you're sharing it with the world and it gives you access to people you wouldn't otherwise. And you can really begin to, uh, to create a powerful network as a result of that. Wow. I, I love that. Yeah. And, and he has done a fantastic job. What a great connector, right? That's, and he's leveraging that gift. Absolutely. Yes. Can you think of anyone else, anyone else in, in this space? Because, you know, what I'm seeing is a lot of people who, um, uh, let's say, speakers and authors, in a way, uh, they seem to do a really good job of this because they have to. Yeah. But what I'm not seeing it a lot is, you know, the professional service provider. You know, your designer, your writer, your 
um, you know, your coach, your coder, those types mm-hmm. of people. No, totally. Well, let me let me share uh, another story that I include in Standout uh, along these lines, which I thought was pretty remarkable. Uh, so there's a gentleman named Mike Leiden. And uh, I actually got to, I've known Mike for over a decade because he actually used to be my employee back when I was running a nonprofit. And uh, anyway, he he left after a year working at at this, uh, at this nonprofit advocacy group because he was going off to graduate school to become an urban planner. And uh, so I was happy for him, but you know, he kind of went off on his own merry way. And uh, anyway, he, he got his degree. He did become an urban planner. Uh, he got a job at a, at a very prestigious firm right out of school, did that for a number of years, and eventually decided to launch his business. Uh, the bad part was that he did it in early 2009, which was just about the worst time economically for anyone to be launching a business, but especially uh, one that is very reliant on uh, municipal budgets. I mean, you know, urban planning firms are hired largely by uh, by cities and states, and they were just being socked by the the Great Recession. So he needed to scramble. It was uh, it was really hard going in the early days of his business. And so one of the things that he did early on, he was very interested in a phenomenon that he noticed, um, which it didn't even have a name at that point, but it was about these sort of like grassroots DIY urban planning efforts that communities were doing. Um, so Mike actually created a name for it. He called it tactical urbanism. And he said, you know, this is really interesting. I, um, I'd like to see this flourish. I'd like to see uh, some kind of guideposts put up around it so that uh, there's a consensus about what's, what's a good way to do this and what's a bad way to do it so that hopefully we can move things forward in a positive direction. So he ends up writing, writing a book. He writes a self-published ebook, which he just gives out as a PDF on his website. And it was uh, a book about tactical urbanism. Uh, So the urban planning community, as you can imagine, it's not huge. You know, there's not a ton of people. Within a few months, 10,000 people had downloaded this book from his website. Became so popular, he he ended up with his partner doing a second one, Tactical Urbanism Volume 2. Then that became so popular, they were approached by a design firm in South America saying, can we partner on this and do a book Volume three, just about tactical urbanism in South America. So they do that. So now this is now, uh, you know, five ish years later, the three books have been downloaded more than 160,000 times. And he has built his business almost entirely on the back of this this writing effort. Um, He's now known as, uh, you know, one of, if not the world expert in tactical urbanism. It's become a big player and and a big movement in urban planning. And literally, he's starting to see uh, government requests for proposals that are written almost with his company in mind, saying that one of the requirements for bidding on it has to be expertise in tactical urbanism. Wow. (laughs) Talk about... uh right? Not, not just kind of going with the flow and seeing where it takes you, right? It's a a unique pivot path. Absolutely. Absolutely. He did it. So, you know, let's say that I am a freelance writer and, you know, so, so that, that is extremely inspiring that story, but you know, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but I don't have anything, sexy, you know, like, how do I create a new category or a big idea 
that kind of takes hold, you know, and it doesn't have to be anything as big as what this gentleman created, but, you know, big enough to just at least create some, some momentum, right. And create some activity out there. You know, where do you start? Where do you start that process? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you one more story that, uh, that, that hopefully might illuminate this a little bit and, uh, and give some of your listeners ideas. This is a story about a guy that, uh, that started pretty small. He started with, uh, you could say, a really banal goal in mind, which is that uh, his name was Michael Waxenberg, and he lived and lives in New York City. And he and his wife were deciding whether to buy a condo. And so, you know, he, it's a lot of money, especially in New York. So they wanted to make a good choice. So Michael started going to a bunch of real estate open houses. And, you know, he liked it. It kind of became a little bit of a hobby to see what was out there. And so he became active on this listserv, uh, on, on this website. It was called StreetEasy. And on StreetEasy, uh, there were message boards about different properties. But it was pretty shallow discourse. It, a lot of it was just like, oh, this place is overpriced or, you know, whatever. Um, no one was really adding a lot of value to it. And so Michael decided that as part of his own research process, he was going to visit these open houses and he would write really detailed reviews of each property, you know, talking about all the different facets of it, you know, what was good, what was bad. Um, So, you know, so thorough, it was, it was just a lot, uh, it was very noticeable and it was a lot better than what was currently being listed. So he starts doing these qualitative reviews and then um, he actually starts a strand on StreetEasy where uh, because he was very frustrated that everything was kind of this mushy, qualitative, oh, I like it, I don't like it. He said, let's start a strand where people report in and discuss actual sales prices of homes. And so he takes the lead on creating this strand. And before long, he had actually become, you know, you could almost say he was like the mayor of Street Easy in New York. <laughs> and people started approaching him saying, Michael, you obviously know so much about real estate in, in this particular neighborhood. Will you be my realtor? And the only problem was that he was not a realtor. He was an IT manager for a financial <laughs> services company. And so he was like, well, I'll, I'll help you, I guess. But, you know, he couldn't accept money. He said that, that he would help people out and they would give him, uh, they would give him you know, some wine or they'd give him a box of chocolates. And so eventually he had so much inbound traffic and inbound inquiries that an actual realtor wrote to him and said, look, if you're still not a realtor, I will sponsor you. I will pay for you to take this training if you come work at my firm. And so he, uh, he got his real estate license. And to this day, he still has his day job because he likes his day job, but he's created this vastly lucrative uh, second career for himself, you know, the side job where he literally doesn't have to do any marketing at all. Because all of his business comes from the initial street easy inquiries and then the second generation referrals from them. And uh, it, it's all because of the original research and uh, just the, you know, the thoroughness with which he approached a topic that a lot of people were, were shrugging off. You know, what it, what the pattern I'm seeing among these stories is that uh, all these people did, it, did what they did out of a need – a significant need or a passion, right? It didn't come as a result of this elaborate plan. You know, I'm going to become kind of the the mayor of you know this site, and I'm going to become a real estate agent. 
um, he had this need that he had to, to meet. And I, you know, how many stories do we know of other people who have done the same thing? And, and what, I, what I'm hearing here is that maybe the right strategy is to kind of follow your gut. And if there's a need that you have, something that you're, you, there's a gap out there. So it's not being met and you have a passion for it or a desire to kind of fill that gap, explore that a little bit because you never know where it could take you. Yeah, I think I think that's really true, Ed. You so, know, it's uh, people are uh, people are drawn to other people who are passionate. So if, if they can if they can sense that, um, then you're you're already halfway there. And you never know. Maybe you will pivot. You know, in in a direction that you didn't expect. And you know, maybe the direction you thought you really were going in that was important isn't as valuable. Uh, as lucrative or as uh, fulfilling as this new direction that it might take you in. Yeah, exactly. Super. Wow. This is, this is really, really cool. I, I'd like to maybe take a couple of minutes to ask you about your book. Cause you mentioned it a couple of times and I'm, I'm curious cause he had a great first book out there. What motivated you to write standout? Yeah, thank you. So the reason I was interested in writing standout was that in a lot of ways I actually viewed it as a continuation of Reinventing You. Um, Reinventing You was intended for people who wanted to make some kind of a change in their career, whether that was a change in their job, in their, uh, you know, in their, you know, overall field or profession, uh, or possibly even just a change in how other people view them to try to ensure that their potential was more fully understood. But it, it involved that kind of movement. And how, how do you get people to really see what, what you can contribute? Um, Stand Out is, uh, is kind of the next chapter because it's for people who have found the place that they want to make an impact. Um, you know, they know, they know where they want to be. But the question is, in a noisy world, how do you do it? How, you know, once, once you say, all right, I'm here, how do you get recognized for that expertise? Because I, I think that there's a lot of people with really great ideas and a lot of value to contribute, but it doesn't do the world any good if no one's listening. And so I want to try to, with this book, level the playing field so that talented people can get their ideas heard and have them be uh, recognized and appreciated. I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's fair that uh, in you know, a default situation, just the noisiest voice, the loudest voice wins. I want the best idea to win, but it's only going to if everyone is equally equipped with the tools and knowledge of how the structures work to break through. I love it. I love it. Where can people learn more about the book, more about what you're up to? Um, and I know you have a lot of great content, free content online. Yeah, thank you. I, I do have a lot. Yes, on my website, doryclark.com, uh, D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K, I have more than 400 free articles that people can check out. Um, of course, there's also the, uh, the uh, standout workbook that people can, uh, can download if they'd like, the 42-page uh, the uh, document. And uh, I'm on Twitter, at Dory Clark. Super. Well, we'll include links to all that in the show notes. And Dory, thanks so much for coming on. This is um, these stories are inspiring, and um, it just emphasizes this critical point that it's not the best idea or the the biggest talent is who can communicate it in a compelling way uh, so that it'll resonate with the right people. So, thanks for sharing this with us today. Ed, thanks a lot. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And I wanted to remind you that you can grab the details show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 75. I have just one quick announcement today. I want to let you know that I just opened enrollment to the 2X project. This is a six-month training and coaching program specifically for business writers and copywriters who are already earning somewhere around forty dollars to $80,000 a year or the part-time equivalent of that. It might also be appropriate for you if you're under that income range but growing very rapidly or if you're over that income range but most of your income comes from one or two main clients. So that kind of puts you at risk. The goal of this program is to help you double your income in the next 12 to 18 months. And I'm going to show you how to do that without working twice as hard and without adding a bunch of stress and anxiety to your business. And if your goal is to maintain your income while cutting back your hours significantly, I'll show you how to do that too. You can learn more about the 2X Project at 2xb2b.com forward slash info. And on that page, you'll find all the details on this program, including testimonials and comments from previous students on the impact that the program has had on their business growth. There's an application process for the 2X Project. I'll tell you that spots are very limited. And the application window is open for a few days only because we start very soon on the first week of May. Uh, In fact, the application process uh, or window will close early next week. So check it out today. Again, that's 2xb2b.com forward slash info. That brings us to the end of the episode. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.